Hey, you're listening to the Sub Club Podcast, a show dedicated to the best practices for building and growing subscription app businesses. We'll share insider secrets from the top subscription apps on the app stores. Let's get into the show. Welcome to the Sub Club Podcast. I'm your host, as always, David Bernard. And with me today, Jacob Eiding, co-host. Say hello, Jacob. Hello, David. It's a, it's a beautiful day. It is. Our guest today is Ed Zitron, the founder and CEO of EasyPR, a media relation company based in San Francisco. Ed has worked with everyone from drone maker Skydio to game maker Player Unknown Battlegrounds to app maker Smart News. He has a unique approach to media relations and is quite effective at helping his clients get results. Welcome to the podcast, Ed. Hey, thanks for having me. Hi, Ed. Hi, how's it going, <laughs> Jacob? It's good. It's good to talk. It's good to always keep catch up. It was just <laughs> bothering you on Twitter. David, you uh you you gave yourself away uh by calling it player unknowns battleground instead of just PUBG. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm don't play, not a gamer. <laughs> I worked for them and barely played it because I was extremely bad and I refused <laughs> to hurt myself like that. So yeah, Ed, Ed, I'm 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 excited to uh learn a little bit more about what it is the magic is that you do because we've we've been working i've been working with you for a couple of years now uh helping us with some revenue cap pr mm-hmm. i've worked with ed in the past ed and i worked together in like 100 years ago or something yeah god it was so so much different back then it was so different yeah you did like cut me a deal as a as a small indie app maker i remember oh, you guys that actually worked, like you guys actually worked, worked together. together i paid oh, wow. him money Back in like 2010 to pitch one of my app launches. God, that and, was uh, so much. That was yeah. so much easier back then. <laughs> Even then, it was difficult. Very different world. Let's. I guess let's start there. Like, because I, I had never know what PR. We we I had worked at a company that hired a PR agency like a like 10 maybe 2013 2011. It was a disaster. Like we paid them way too much money. They got us nothing. So from there, <laughs> let, me start, let me preface with that experience. Uh, but yeah, let, tell me like how did how did you get into this? So the funny thing about how I got into PR is I was lied to. So I was a journalist for a long time. I was, I started when I was like 16. I moved to America when I was 22. And I moved because I'd read a bunch of PR books. I hated, I hated England, hated living there. I was miserable all the time. Not that I'm not miserable now, but in a different manner. <laughs> and I read all these books and they made PR seem like it'd be this big fancy thing with parties and press conferences. Absolutely wrong. Just complete falsehood. So I fell into my first PR job and I hated it. I really did. But I got very good with reporters. I got very good at talking to them about kind of working out what they wanted before and while talking to them. And also I was told by my bosses, oh, you just got to keep calling them and harassing them basically until they give you what you want. And I was like, well, that doesn't seem to work or be legal (laughs) in any other realm of human (laughs) existence. So I'm going to try. And I actually ended up working on an e-reader. Like, one of the first, it was like the, the one after Kindle. It was the, the not Nook? great. No. No, it was called the Cooler. Oh, wow. Cooler, not the coolest history. cooler. Yeah, that's <laughs> it. But I ended up, I was like, you know, what? I'm going to try something a bit different because usually my managers read all my pitches, but I was like, I don't care. I'm going to send it. And I wrote a two or three line pitch just being like, it does this. Here are the specs. What do you think? And I got really, really good responses. And I was like, maybe I'll try this again and maybe I'll read some of their stuff against all of the manager's advice. They were like, just find names and spam them. 
And I realized journalists generally want to hear about things they're interested in or their readers might be interested in. Seems obvious, but it is not. And indeed, many PR people do not act that way. And I went to another agency and I had a much better time there and I kind of grew my Rolodex and also got a lot more nuanced about how I actually build these relationships, about how I'd follow these people and there'd be people I'd talk to and know for years that I wouldn't pitch. And then I'd get a bunch of stories with them eventually because you don't always have a client for every report you have. And I focus honestly much more about just making a lot of random friends, many of them online, and it worked. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> and yeah, and here we are. I started my own thing in 2012 and it has been a very different, it's definitely a more challenging environment right now than it's ever been. Oh, why? What happened? What changed? <laughs> so Facebook happened. So around the time the I would say Theranos was kind of the first sign, but when Facebook and all the Cambridge Analytica stuff came out, a lot of journalists, and it's horrible to say, but it's true. There are a lot of journalists who just acted like they had not been complicit in this, but there right. have been years and years and years of just effusive press for everything, especially mm. Facebook. The things that people would say about Facebook, even in 2013 with Prism, they were still standing for Facebook. I would say when that happened, and also the dramatic shifts in like Indiegogo failures made the press a little more cynical and understandably so Uh, of of just the industry. If anybody like just everything, I feel that, and it's not a Donald Trump thing. I think it was just because 2014, 2015, you saw a lot of these Indiegogo things just crater. Many of them just never happened. Those that got delivered didn't look good. The reason I pick that up specifically is that was where a lot of the promise and tech was coming from. You had that and you had a lot of letdowns. And then you had the Cambridge Analytica thing. And I feel like that just really, that was a point at which the tech press became a lot more conservative about what they would be excited about, which is is a generational thing. It was going to happen. Tech journalism is not particularly old. I think like, well, 80s, 90s, 90s was when they really started taking it seriously on a national level. So it's an adolescence thing. It's just not of the age of the writers, but of the industry itself. So that's a really great way to put it is that like early on in the app store, and you know, I've been building apps for 13 years now. I've been talking to press myself for 13 years now. And I have noticed this kind of shift from like in those early days. And, and I hadn't thought about it in that kind of framework, but I, it, it was really around that time where you kind of went from this like, tech press that was kind of excited about technology and would write kind of like fanboy kind of like, Hey, like the iPhone's fun. Like this is changing mm-hmm. our lives. Like these apps are really exciting to then there started to be this shift where it's like, um, and, and some of it, and maybe that, that the adolescent thing is like a combination of both um, some level of, of maturing is like, well, we, we, as journalists, you know, it used to be more like kind of tech bloggers and they saw themselves not as necessarily like journalists and that started to shift like, okay, we're journalists. We need to kind of like talk about the good and the bad and stuff like that. But then there's also that, like maybe uh, teenage uh, angst and cynicism <laughs> mixed in of like, all of a sudden it was like, how many you know, favors apps- we did these people in the like, you know, mid yes. Yeah, but it's like apps are dead, like apps suck, tech sucks, like tech is ruining our lives. There there does seem to be that like the narrative started to shift around that time. And so, 
Yeah, it's really interesting. I never kind of put that together, but it has been so different, even specifically talking about apps over the last few years than it was early on. Like there was kind of that excitement about technology and excitement about things. And it's definitely shifted. That's, yeah, that's an interesting perspective. And there's a froth that also existed. I think it is also, and I say this loving TechCrunch, I've read it for years. I think that TechCrunch and others but TechCrunch in particular, started off honestly with, like, I don't think there was anything malevolent going on. It was started off by Arrington and he was excited. Yeah, there was a bit of a kind of a muckracking where he was like, oh, I found the scoop. But there was an excitement and I get that people carried away in that. I also think there are people like Josh Constein at TechCrunch who wrote effusively about Facebook because they were genuinely interested, which kind of made people look a bit silly when Facebook turned out to be extremely bad. Well, I was going to say it just stuff got big, right? The power dynamics shifted. It did. Like- and I think that that is really it. It is there. It went from being an enthusiast press to right. an industry press, which weirdly enough, that happened quicker for tech, uh, sorry, slower for tech than it happened for game. Like games still hasn't quite made it despite really <laughs> being more grand. Gaming is still enthusiast. And also I think that that's a fanboy press thing, but irrelevant to apps. But that used to be the case in in tech more broadly. It was that kind of fanboy excited about tech. Yeah, I mean specifically I, and I around see what apps, you say about right? games too. Yeah. Oh god, those embarrassing app people like hooting and hollering at a press event for Apple. Come on. <laughs> I mean, I'm excited about new stuff too. But please, calm calm your jorts. We don't need you to. <laughs> it's gonna be different now. Like when 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 oh, I was. No, I mean, it's still the same. They know who to invite. And actually, I think if you look at how Apple has worked with the press last five years, you can really see they are way more aware of this stuff than even the tech press were. I forget which iPhone, like two or three back, there was a Gruber went completely nuts because they gave it to like High Snobriety and a few other more mainstream consumer pre- and like a YouTuber, I think. And I remember people are like, why did they give it to Gruber? The answer is Apple is aware that Industry is going to be a little more critical now, despite being a hundred billion dollar company before now a trillion dollar company. Now, I think that it's an adjustment. It doesn't mean that it's hopeless doing PR. Otherwise, I would not be here. But (laughs) it would. It is no longer a turnkey thing of just. Yep, this is this is that easy. It's like that for funding press now, and I don't think that's ever going to change because. Yeah, PR people still screw that up, which we'll get to later. But <laughs> I think it's interesting to see how tech has had to become predominantly industry press now. It was enthusiast. There was a time where even the New York Times was basically enthusiast tech. People don't really think about that, but like... Was it? No, Mossberg, Mossberg was at the journal, Mossberg right? Mossberg was at the journal. But but even even his his writing then oh, too Pogue. was oh, like, his, Pogue his at the times. Oh Pogue, that's Pogue, who it was. Yeah, the yeah. Pogue, I I loved Pogue, and I think but as the enthusiast, like yeah, that was great. But that's what the Times needs. The Times yeah. needs your weird uncle who makes his weird <laughs> songs. <laughs> but I think Joanna Stern at the Journal, who used to be a who she was a founding member of the Verge, who was at Engadget, and then I think ABC before that, she has picked up what David Pogue did, and run She's with it incredible. so. She, she is probably the best. She may be the best tech journalist actually working today just because yeah. she is so talented and so astute and yet able to entertainingly say, here is what this means and why you should care. In, but also adopting some of the kind of 
joyful enthusiasm that Poke had. When she finds something she loves, she loves it. And it's great. And I feel like tech journalism needs more of that. Even putting aside my own job, like it is a lot of fun watching someone whose job it is to be critical genuinely be won over by something. Yeah. Adita Bone yeah. over at The Verge, his, uh, one of his M1 reviews. It was great reading it because he wasn't not being critical. Apple just exceeded his expectations. I think that that's great. I think a lot of tech people get obsessed with the minutiae, like, well, I need to be a little more critical. The truth is most people don't view things like that. Yeah. I is it back backing up a little bit. Like what I think one of the things that I've had to come around to and just like understanding this this whole industry, like when you're working with app creators or 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 I don't know, firms of, of varying size, like what 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 are the I don't know, when you're thinking about getting a placement or t- getting to one of these people to write about, it, I mean, you know, enthusiastic or not, like what are you thinking about optimizing for like when you're when you're thinking about like i mean i'm thinking about our listeners here you know we have yeah we have lots of folks who are building apps they they probably i mean david i don't know if the days are gone of like you would just be sending out cold emails to <laughs> i mean in 2008 <laughs> there were like 202 apps or something like this. i, like, I don't think the days are gone i think that it comes down to the utility of the app being truly unique okay because i will get email introductions or cold emails to work on apps that are doing some form of social network. And the thrust of it is always, well, it's like this, but a bit different. The problem with any social pro like social apps for the most part are God awful to pitch. There's just no differentiation unless it's the founding team of X, Y, Z, Google thing or Facebook person. Then even then that becomes a business story. If your app, for example, I work with an app called do not pay right now. I love these guys. They also come up with a new product like every week. It's truly amazing. But also with Do Not Pay, it's an app with a subscription. It's $3 a month. And with them, their big thing is they are meant to be a robot lawyer and they have features that are built regularly to pitch. They have regular updates. As a larger thing, if there were no updates, that would be quite a difficult pitch. And yes, there are industry-wide things like Wired just ran like a six apps for managing subscriptions. Perfect. There aren't many of those a year. Now, if your app truly does something that most people will find useful, brilliant. You have a utility. That's great. But the problem is finding that match between both the utility for people and the reporters who are going to give a damn about said utility. So you are constantly finding this line with new clients and in case an app developer. If you're working with a PR agency, Go month to month, first of all. Don't <laughs> sign on for like, don't sign on for multiple months. Just don't do it. But also, I would argue you want to make sure that there are journalists writing about this sort of thing. There are actually some really good sites like iMore, Review Geek, Android Police, all places that are giving app developers real time of day. The time of day, even, I can speak, I promise. <laughs> like, there are journalists there who genuinely are both critics and enthusiasts. David Ruddock, he's bloody brilliant. You've got Ryan Hager over at Android, please. He's fantastic. Cam Summerson over at Review Geek is one of the nicest people, but also genuinely knows his stuff. And I feel like the you've had the pinch of kind of cynicism. You really saw that in 2018 and 2019. In fact, I'd argue 2019 was the hardest year of my business since like 2012. Mm. 
or the year of my divorce in 2014. <laughs> like I, I mean, and even then still easy. Like 2019 sucked because I think 2019 was the height of cynicism with everything going on socioeconomically on top of just the press being so pissed off. Mm. And I think it's kind of diffused now, but also the enthusiasts have kind of worked out because there is, I would argue there is more space for enthusiast press than there is for business and industry press. Because deep down, people want to know the crap to buy. They want to know what app to buy, what to download. But as an app developer, there's nothing wrong with you just reading a whole bunch of stuff and emailing the, the reporter with 90 to 110 words and saying, this is my app. This is what it does. This is why it's good. Don't use highfalutin terms. Don't be like, it's amazing. It's <laughs> evolutionary. Nobody cares. But also, not just nobody cares, but those things actually tell you nothing. Subjective language is not illustrative. Right. It really isn't. It, like Saying something is amazing is subjective at its core like a caveman would find even the crappiest app amazing because they're a caveman don't know how they got here that's up to you (laughs) but in in all seriousness what is amazing to you isn't amazing to someone else what is and frankly the big secret of pr is that every journalist pretty much tells you what they want if you go on twitter and read their tweets and on their articles you read their stuff the difficult ones are the ones who write once a month. Then you just really need to know them. But if you want someone to write about your app, read their stuff repeatedly. There are quite difficult ones to get to, like Sarah Perez at TechCrunch. She writes a lot of general app stuff. She also writes about industry stuff like SenseTower and her work together quite regularly. Now she's written some revenue cap related things. With her, she will write about apps, but you also have to realize that is probably a thousand to 2000 emails a day going to one woman in Florida. Even if you write the best email in the world, it might still get ignored. And that's not you offending her or her disliking you or her being bad. It's just, it isn't her job to write about you. It's her job to write about something. And that's where I think a lot of people miss, especially app developers. And and like I talk to a lot, I do office hours every week. I've talked to you know thousands of developers in the community over the years. And and I have gotten a lot of press for my apps over the year. So I get a lot of questions like, you know, how do you do that? You know, what's the secret? And and it's exactly what you're saying. And I wanted to kind of like dive a little bit deeper into some of what you just said, but didn't go deep on, is that a journalist you have to think about their motivation, their, you know, what their job is. Their job is to inform readers. And then, I mean, cynically at at some point, it's also to get clicks. So like there is an aspect to just understanding their business model, why they write, who they write to. And so when you're thinking like, Oh, I'm going to pitch my app, you know, you see very niche apps wanting to get press and tech crunch. And it's like, there, there's not a reason for TechCrunch to write about your niche app. Like, go look for the niche. There is a third thing to add to that, though, because you're completely correct. But there's also a third thing. Their own interests. So right. TechCrunch, Devin Caldaway. I worked with him on an, it was a uh, computer vision product. The reason I did that was he had written specifically about the Myriad chipset that was in that thing. So I was able to go to him and go, you are interested in this. You know what this is and why this matters. What do you think about chatting with them? And he had a chat with them. So you might read someone's stuff 
and pitch them and they won't care. But you might also see they're genuinely interested in something. Or they're the only person who wrote about this thing. And they may read it and go, oh, that's actually personally interesting. Because guess what? Everything David said is true. And they have to couch that with not being particularly thrilled with having to get clicks. If they can find a way of melding their own interests, the reader interest and the clicks, that's magical. That makes them happy. That makes their life easier, not on a professional level, but on a personal level as well. Yeah, that's a really great point. Yeah. And it works. And if you can find also a journalist who would genuinely use your, the product, even better. When I was working with Skydio, I really dug deep. It would have been easy to just, um, yeah, sure, we did look for everyone who covered the first Skydio. Sure. But we went and found people who were genuinely interested in photography. A guy called Chris Davies over at Slashgate, wonderful fella. He is an avid car bloke. And of course, we had footage around cars and following cars. Like very simple stuff like that is very obvious when you read a little bit and spend a lot more time reading than you do pitching. And it's tough. I get it. You're building your app at the same time as doing all this. Yeah. That's why you might hire an agency. But you have to realize, and this is something I know we're going to bridge into, what are you actually spending your money on? You're trying to get clicks. You're trying to get installs. You're trying to build a brand. Be very clear about that because PR is not an efficient, it is not a CPA. It can be. Well, you can't even measure, yeah, right? Yeah, let's talk cases, about that right? for a little bit. So like if, if, you know, if, if somebody goes to a PR firm saying we're going to spend $10,000 this month and we want to see a $20,000 return on investment, What's your conversation with a potential client that comes to you and says, here's our budget. Here's the return we want to see on that budget. I do this. I go, no. <laughs> I, no I, will, fire, I, will usually, I will usually say to them, that isn't how PR works. It can be, but it isn't regularly. Like there was, I forget what, it was her VPN client I worked on. I think they had like a USA Today story that ended up making them like a million dollars over a few years. Like, wow. Then there are articles they got in TechCrunch which took them like three installs. It's very hard. I have a client who had a client even last year who does a uh, privacy software. It's kind of kind of a long explanation. They got a Forbes story, and I think it made them like three thousand dollars in one week. Like, there are examples you can make but there are no specific ones. And I think you should just not do PR if that's your goal. I think this is true for like any kind of, I mean, PR is a growth experiment, right? Like it may work, yes. it may not. It's and a like force you multiplier. It's, it can't be the only thing you do either. I mean, actually I was going to ask David about this. Like, David, have you, because I remember in the early days, it seemed like it was much more of a achievable, it's certainly without a PR firm, right? Like you could kind of like email. I remember in 2008 working on little like projects and stuff and we would just like email people at TechCrunch and you might probably, if you- Yeah, you might online, break through. Yeah, you can just get through. Um, but it seems like, it, you know, it's just, it's just different now. So as like a, when you think about this channel, like is there a stage when you think it's good to start thinking about PR or, you know, maybe it's not the first thing you jump to, right? Well, here, here's something I've been talking a lot about with, with developers um, in my office hours and, and, and otherwise is, is understanding like cold, cold pitches can still work, you know, yes, and, and working, working with Ed is kind of a, a different level. So when you're, when you're a small bootstrapped app trying to get some attention, what I've been telling people is 
And, and this is exactly what Ed was kind of talking about is like, you can get in TechCrunch and you think, oh my gosh, like we're in TechCrunch. This it's going to make us a million dollars. This is it. We're going to get millions of downloads. And I've seen this with my own apps. Like I've gotten tons of press at the wrong time with the wrong feature with the wrong, you know, and I get, I make like a couple of grand and like, it's just not even worth it. But then, uh, and this is a great example. I should, I, I need to follow up and get details on this, but a buddy of mine, Andy runs an RV app and, um, and he, he emails me one day. He's like, I can't, how do you track, how do, how do you figure out sources of downloads? Cause I got all these downloads all of a sudden and I have no idea where they came from. Yeah. You're trying to work it out. So he tracks it back and it was like a small time YouTuber, but that YouTuber had a really dedicated audience that was super into it. And this YouTuber organically picked up the app, gave an effusive enthusiast, you know, tech person review and the conversion from watching the video to downloading the app was off the charts. So I think when you're early on, the best thing to do is go look for those niche publications, niche YouTubers, niche sources of attention that are really so deep into your target market. And that's going to be 10 times more effective than cold emailing TechCrunch. And then as you grow and have a broader market app, then you can start thinking about working with Ed and then Ed, you take it from there. So now we've gone from that small thing. Now, at what stage do you think people should come talk to you and think about PR more broadly? What's a, somebody that you would talk to you and you'd be like, no, this is not like, it's too early. This is not the right time to think about this. Honestly, the, the money side is part of it. Not just because like, Hey, we have prices, but also because if whatever we cost, like an agency can cost between like eight and 25 K a month. If you look at that and that is going to be make or break money for your business, it's the wrong time to do PR. Just don't do, don't pay. Like if that's, if you can't afford to lose it, obviously right. you should not be hiring someone who's going to just do nothing. But if you can't afford to like spend that money and not like, and you need that routine, you must have 8,000 click throughs or what have you, then yeah, it's the wrong time. Also something I want to add before I forget with your emails to journalists, if you're doing this yourself, this is something that so many people forget, make it very clear what you want out of them. So, and make it very easy for them. So if you're not hiring an agency, you're sending these emails yourself, 90 to 110 words, feature set, nice bullet point list, brilliant. At the end, have a link to the app on iOS and Android and have a media kit. Media kit can just be screenshots, and a little fact sheet. A hero is huge because the heroes make it so much easier to get picked up because- Can you define a hero, David? <laughs> oh, just, just like a, a, a splashy image that has something to do with your app. An image that would look good on an article. Yeah, when stories get shared on Twitter, the hero gets pulled in by the Twitter, um, I forget what they call the Open image graph, tag yeah. thing. And so when you, when you have a nice image that's really easy for them to drop in a story, that just makes it so much easier to cover. So your media kit should have screenshots, but actually I think more important than the screenshots is actually a, a hero as part of the media kit. And ultimately you should just be making it easy for them. They should yeah. be able to go... Oh, that's interesting. I'm going to download that now. Oh, I have a question. There's a fact sheet. And this goes also with your PR agency, but they should do that themselves. Also, you should hire a PR agency if you truly, deep in your heart of hearts, in your rotten little soul, you think (laughs) you have something truly crazy that will go wild. I have had people who believe that, who I have informed were not correct. 
And I have been correct at that time. I do not have a loss on the, <laughs> you are you are drinking your own Kool-Aid there. But I've had a few have come to me. I mean, I'm trying to think, like Scudia would be an obvious one, but there have been numerous times where, like Wise, when I worked with Wise right at the beginning, and they came to me, I priced to compete because I was like, this is good. This is a $20 Wi-Fi camera. It's going to go nuts. It's the year 2018. It's going to go bonkers. And it did. When someone, when you, when you have something like that, where you're like, I really think this is going to be big, but I on my own cannot do this. It is worth rolling the dice because if you, you on your own are going to have a much harder time doing it. And even if you have investors who are like, oh, I know that guy. I know like most of the time, the person that they know is like one person at TechCrunch, one person at Bloomberg, person at Bloomberg is going to say, you're not big enough yet. And you're going to get nothing. You actually really want, and to David's point, you really want a cluster of smaller hits with people who are going to, and yeah, if it's a very value-focused product, you're going to want TechCrunch. But more importantly, you're just going to want users who are going to talk about it. You want to make sure that people have something nice to share on Twitter, something that can talk about the product and why they love it. I think that, weird example but there is this uh, thermometer I have called the meter. It's a Wi-Fi based thermometer. You go to take a screenshot of your cook as it's going on and it creates a nice, perfectly formatted image. Very good for sharing. Stuff like that is magic. Obviously, we're talking very vaguely here, but everything that you are doing should be around giving just as wide a spread as possible. I also want to add that does not mean paying for a press release. You do not need a press release. Stop asking. <laughs> what, what, what is a press release? So right now, a press release is a really good way to waste $1,000 to $2,000. <laughs> are, there, are there still just a bunch of firms that'll take your $1,000? It's just their business model. PR Newswire, PR, Business Wire, PR, PR Web, all of them. There might be a $400 example. There's no point of doing it. No one reads them. What they do is you'll be told you need a press release by someone. You will be asked for one. Whatever that press release does is better in an FAQ, better in a data sheet. Just like who you are, what you do, what you're doing. If you're raising money, how much you raised, who from, give them some quotes from investors, give them some quotes from you, done. You don't need to do a press release. There is no value to it. You want to, if you want to do this on your own, try and find as many good places to throw a big pebble into a river, try and get as many waves out. Finding you're not going to get seen by unbox therapy. You might, but you probably won't. <laughs> You're not going to get seen by uh, your average consumer. You're not going to be seen by MK, BHD. Got that one right. All these people are too big for you. If and when Linus or whomever finds you, amazing, brilliant. Start smaller. Start with people who are going to really care and start with people who, honestly, one person on YouTube, like David said, who is just completely crazy about you is going to mean so much. People who are really into what you're doing are so much more effective than a lukewarm write up on TechCrunch. And TechCrunch does like does like 30 articles a day. So you don't even get that much like time. Yeah. <laughs> they do stand out. They do. They it's great. It's great for on a Tech link, Crunch. right? It's great yeah. for like we had we had for Revenue Cat. So we had our original one when we were in YC, which is they they that the, the two experiences that I had before working with Ed on PR was our, our initial investor, they, but they have a very special relationship with Crunchbase or sorry, 
crunch based tech crunch um and then and then we did one also when we announced our seed and and uh they're just they're they're nice as like things you can send right like it's official yeah. <laughs> but yeah. as far as like what did that generate for us i mean maybe a few leads it's it's different you know b2b in an app but or versus apps but um but yeah so but but it's back to your point ed about like how it's not it's not this one in one out thing, right? It's, it's, it's this like beat of a drum you're, you're building. I think we said brand earlier. I think that's the right way to think about it. Cause sometimes brand leads to downloads. Sometimes it leads to hiring people. Sometimes it leads to investors. Like it's all kinds of different stuff. So like, or if someone sees an ad, if someone sees an ad, clicks through, thinks about buying it and then Googles it. Right. And boom, it's there. Like it's these multi-touch points. It gives more people what's the the social proof, right? It's building this like portfolio of social proof that you're something, right? And I think that's a better way to think of it than this like ROI, like RO return on ads or whatever. I wanted to go a little deeper on that. Like, how do you think about the how PR complements ads like more um direct marketing? So, like, and you were saying earlier, like, you know, if you have eight eight thousand dollars to spend. And you, you need to get $8,000 back. Don't come talk to me. Um, and my immediate thought was, yeah, take that money and spend it on Apple search ads, spend it on Facebook yeah. ads. So, so how do you think about, especially with your clients, like how does your work and how does PR um, both complement and kind of take a different perspective from the money spent on direct marketing? So two things. One, when ads have become kind of standard is a good time to start thinking. So when you are just doing that anyway, and you're like, I need a little sizzle in my pistol. I need to take this up a notch. That is usually the time you start thinking about it. Also, Jacob's previous point, you're also building a continuum. It's not just a brand. It is a continuum. You have existed for X number of months, years, whatever. Trust is a big thing with apps, as I'm sure you've discussed many times with privacy issues, but even just, am I giving money to a company that will exist in two months? Right. Uh, can I rely on this service? Is this subscription going to trick me into spending more money for no reason? Is this going to continually be updated? That's like very basic things about reliability of products, which people are more aware of. The average consumer is very well aware of products being sunset. They have been domed by this multiple times. And at this point, you are building up trust. You are building a continuum of coverage and existence so that that consumer finds you and goes, this has been around a while. It's probably not as buggy. It's probably reliable. It's getting updates. That's why reviews are so scary when you get bad reviews and you haven't had many reviews because someone can find that. So finding journalists who are excited about, or even just interested in what you're talking about matters. It amplifies everything. It is that force multiplier. It will make your ads. And actually you can use original articles written on Business Insider, for example, and you can literally drive traffic to them. Yeah. I mean, I was going to, I was going to mention that we were for our series A announcement. We, you, you helped us get in an in interview on cheddar, which I, I don't know how many people watch cheddar all the time. It's probably a few thousand maybe at a time, but like the real, the real, the real value has been for us. Like we have this really beautiful, like interview with me on a news network and we've used that for like ad content and like it also just this like, yeah, it's like building this story. I mean, it, it, don't, don't tell a story that's not true, but like, yeah, 
people do feel more comfortable when they see kind of the accoutrement of stability, like around your company and around your brand. Mm-hmm. And like, you know, you're paying for it. So it's not like it's Don't just- listen to us. Listen to these people. Yeah, Don't right, take but- it from me. But it's true. This is a rabbit hole. I'd love to, to put you on your little uh, soapbox, Ed. Um, truth in PR. I, I'm yes. sure like you kind of started our conversation talking about how truth in PR led you to where you are and starting your own firm. But just uh, tell me about like trust and, 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 and like what Jacob was saying, like, don't, don't lie. Like it, it, it baffles me how many people think they need to lie to, to like, make themselves sound bigger than they are. Embellish maybe is the, the more fair word, right? Well, I mean, it's, uh, <laughs> it's not subjective, right? On a grand level, one way to look at any lie is if a lie is successful, no matter what you get at the end, out of it, if the truth ever comes out, the cost of that lie is significantly higher than what you got. That's a great point. Almost every case Sure, little white lies, I don't know, whatever. But those mostly don't apply to what we're talking about. So I'll give an example in our Series A, like our Series A, was it $15 million? Well, it was, we added, we did another round right before it, but we added it all together, $15 million. That's not really what I'm talking about though. Like that is just- that's a good example of- I was saying an example of like, not a lie, but like we did, like we made the messaging more simple by like- You simplified the messaging. That See, that is just rounding up. Or down, or what have you? Like that is not. Million dollars did change hands. Let's put it that yes. way. <laughs> it's not. <laughs> honestly, it's not true. obfuscating. I would argue, <laughs> but so if your app claims to do something, it cannot. It cannot, and a user will find that out and be pissed off. You might trap them with other things they like. You should still feel bad, and you will still not win long term because misleading users. Check out Facebook. Look how badly it's gone for them. I mean, it's, it doesn't always work. I mean, if you th- re- honestly, I don't think long term Apple's strategy of just pushing only free to play games will work for them. I think it's going to hurt them really badly because Apple Arcade, look how well Apple Arcade, well, Apple Arcade has done as a result <laughs> of their, their half assed approach to gaming. But getting back to the PR side, I would argue that one of the biggest problems of PR is that people lie about doing media relations at all. They claim they do media relations, but they spam a hundred people. Don't do that as a developer. Don't do it as a PR person. And don't hire a PR firm that does that. Oh, no. Yeah. And there are so many of them. And what I love to love to break is this idea that, oh, it's only the big shops that do that. Nope. I've met plenty of single person shops. I've met plenty of 20 person shops, 10 person shops. I've met them. I've had clients come to me from them. I've made them a lot happier because ultimately I build relationships and I talk to people and I follow people and I read people and I understand, hey, that person who I've been reading and talking to might find this interesting. They may say no, then I won't come back to them until I find something interesting. You as a developer can do the same thing. Honestly, depending on what you're pitching, it may not even be that long conversation, but yeah, keep it in their ear. I think that the if you are you we're past the point where people can just out and out lie. I mean, just completely just make up. I mean, stuff. you mentioned you mentioned Theranos like that. that Theranos, like it was built on just like a PR like pyramid scheme. Not even a pyramid scheme because a pyramid scheme has an out. Like pyramid schemes generally give people money 
Uh, like, <laughs> oh, that, somebody, so somebody makes money on a pyramid product, scheme, yeah. right? Yeah. No one ended up <laughs> making any money off of that. They also slightly <laughs> defrauded Henry Kissinger. So who's to <laughs> say it was bad? <laughs> I, so, but in all, in all seriousness, Theranos, yes, Indiegogo would be the best example. Indiegogo with all of the massive flameouts on there, like the micro drone that just never shipped, uh, the coolest cooler that had all sorts of problems and things it couldn't do. Like there are things that, like if you say something, we'll do something, and then you deliver a worse product without an explanation, without a very transparent one, you will get in trouble. I mean, look at Mobile Me. Yeah. Like, and that was, <laughs> but seriously, look at Mobile Me, yeah. but look how well adopted iCloud is now. But Mobile Me was, even in the enthusiast press, not particularly well liked. You have to understand, it was like 20, 2009, I forget. That's like back then, early. you could firebrand a turd with an Apple logo and Walt Mossberg would spend a thousand words on it and love it. So it's the best poop he's ever seen. Like nowadays, you really can't get away with that. You can't. And there are companies that do. I would say Apple has gotten away with a lot with AirPods. I really think they have. Tesla, more than anyone, has gotten away with some <laughs> quite interesting product issues. There are companies that still get away with it. You are not one of them. Whatever yeah. <laughs> company you work for, you are not going to get... When you get to that level, you've had to make good products all the way up to that point. Even test like the current situation is it's very hard to mislead a journalist. And if you pull it off, the payback is so harsh. They will right. rip down articles. They'll update everything. You're not getting away with anything these days. And sure, if you get a negative article, you can respond to it and it's fine. And honestly, if something negative happens to you and you respond in a contrite and transparent manner, that can actually be good PR. Shows that you care. Is that something that a PR firm helps with is like uh, handling negative firm. press? Yeah. Yeah. Having good relationships really helps that. Oh, I mean, yeah, I guess if it's just, it's partially like we're, the, the exchanges we're buying into a, a relationship, right? And then you- yes. And if you don't have those relationships, but more importantly, you don't have the ability to forge new ones with someone who is mad, for example, <laughs> you are screwed. I mean, I've had a few I've had to deal with without getting too specific. Uh, that VPN one I had, there was a spurious report that came out about data sharing. Thankfully, I knew the reporter didn't kill the story because you can't kill a story like that. You can try, but you're not going to. But I at least was able to get the CEO on the phone with the reporter and have an actual conversation. So that, mm. And I actually got a slight warning that it was coming. That's the best you can ask for. It's not rocket science, but I think PR firms and PR people as a whole, going back to why, when I got into this, are misled into believing that they are more than they are and that there's more to do than there actually is in the sense of how majestic and powerful they are when a lot of this is very straightforward and actually quite challenging building human relationships even if, when you're a lizard type freak like me is quite difficult <laughs> and but continually building relationships with people is mentally challenging it is exhausting yeah. just because you put a lot of yourself out there you you have to do this and a lot of pr people just don't want to do that and want to do the bare minimum because they were promised parties and press conferences and they're not going to get them they say psychotic things like i love people sociopathic. That is some um, <laughs> psycho killer talking head stuff. I mean, just not true. The truth is most PR, a good PR person will be able to show you relevant coverage recently. If you're evaluating working with somebody, right? Like what are the, what are the, the hallmarks of a, of a firm that somebody should run away from? What are they going to see? 
So very basic things. One, ask them for recent coverage, then ask which members of the team got that coverage. If they say my team, say no. Who got that? If they say my team, hang up. Anyone <laughs> who's talking of my, I'll say easy PR team all the time, but I mean, probably me. Me or Trevor, co-worker out in New York. It's a small shop or a smaller shop, but also I'm not going to claim coverage that's not mine. I've had amazing coverage run that may have been related to coverage I got. And it's like, I may be related. I will always be honest. But for the most part, when you're evaluating a PR firm, you should be asking them, who got this coverage? When did they get it? And can you show me coverage that looks like me? Right, right. If you are an app developer and all they show you is funding announcements, what experience is there there? What? And you know what? There may be an answer, which is we've not done an app in a while. At that point, start asking them for specific journalists they would pitch this to. Don't ask for a full list. That isn't fair. But get a few. Get a few examples. And then go and check if the journalist still works there. My favorite thing is when I start with a new, well, probably not my favorite thing, Diet Coke. But I would... (laughs) My favorite thing when I take over from another agency is going through the list and looking for dead people. Not literally, but people who've moved on <laughs> yeah. from the outlet. People who haven't written there. And My favorite is I still occasionally see Hayley Sukuyama from the Washington Post pop up. She's worked for the EFF for several years now. She's not there anymore. Washington Post doesn't really have a tech columnist. They have tech, tech writers, but they don't have... There used to be a great app column. It used to be amazing for developers. Great for PR people too. But... It's, you need to keep on top of this stuff and you need an agency that you can rely on to do so as well. You need someone who is going to be able to cut through the noise by having a relationship or just knowing how to write a good email. And the soul of a good email is short and to the point, from the subject line onwards. You know, something you, you've you kind of touched on through the entire conversation and we're kind of coming up to the top of the hour. So I think this is maybe a good place to kind of wrap up the conversation. I think a lot of this just boils down to like, being a good human and being yes. helpful. Like if yes. you're an app developer, it's not helpful to tell somebody in the press a lie. If all no. you ever do is ask for favors, that's not how a human interacts with another human. You know, spamming no. is not a generally agreed upon positive human interaction. And so in thinking about PR more broadly, it's really being helpful, like helping a reporter tell a story to their audience that's interesting to their audience. And like you said earlier, which is a fantastic point that I haven't really thought about that much is, is helping them tell a story that makes them enjoy their job, that makes like their job fun. So any, any more thoughts on just, and, and, and again, it's like lying is not helpful. Like so many aspects of what, like we traditionally think about and like the kind of crappy PR industry it's just not helpful. It's not humane. It's not no. any of that. You've kind of presented a lot of the antithesis of that. So let's wrap up yeah. on that, on like how to be human. <laughs> put, put it into a pithy slogan, Ed. This is your, yeah, give us, to you got a pitch now. This is the one, the most important pitch of your life. <laughs> the way I'd put it is be useful and realize that kind of doing you a favor. I know David literally just said they're not doing favors, but you are, they are not, meant to write about you. They're meant to write about stuff that interests them, their readers, and get some clicks. The third one, depending on the outlet, may matter a lot less than the others. But you are trying to be a conduit through good information that they actually want. One of the things I always ask reporters when I see them, 
is always, so what can I send you that you'll actually care about? And it matters. And it's such a stupidly obvious thing, but a lot of PR people claim they like people. What they actually believe is people are useful. Seeing people like that is sociopathic. And it's one of the reasons I don't cold call reporters. I don't text reporters unless I know them very well. And even then, I will always say, can I run something by you? Because they may be having a bad day. Like, like you said, David, it's a human being thing. Maybe having a bad day. It's like when you tell a friend, can I rant to you for a second? They may say, oh man, I'm like just falling asleep. I hate doing like that has happened a few times. And it's like, I always hate doing it, but it's like, I don't want you to text me a paragraph and then I'm asleep. But it's ultimately realizing that there is an exchange of information here. And that if you are useful to them, sometimes you'll give them a quote, a guy called Suhail Doshi, who's a founder of Mixpanel. Great example. I didn't actually work with him. I came in, did PR for them just after he left. But one of his skills was being very useful to reporters. He'd send them thoughts and stuff unrelated to data analytics. But he was a well-read guy and he was useful. And he was always there to pick up the phone. Jason Lemkin, your investor. Another guy who's just fantastic for a quote, really astute. He really subscribes to the if it bleeds, it leads thing, which is sometimes you need to be vulnerable and tell people something that's educational, which may make you not always look perfect. May have to acknowledge that bad things happen. Jason does that amazingly, but also anyone who really does any kind of thought leadership who subscribes to that generally does well. You have to tell people the truth and you have to educate them. And if you're useful, truly useful to a reporter, it will pay off, but that also kind of isn't the reason you should do it. You should do it because, yeah, of course it's transactional. Of course you're doing something with them, but ultimately it's fun to help someone out. Makes you feel good. Makes everyone feel good. That is a fantastic place to wrap up. So uh, I have a couple notes. Um, people can find you, Ed Zitron, on Twitter, easypr.com. Any other uh, closing thoughts? Honestly, ed at easypr.com is my email. If you ever are unsure if you should do PR, shoot me an email. I'll probably tell you you're not ready or you are ready and not trans. I will honestly give you a few thoughts. I'm always happy to. Don't know, maybe even like a 15 minute phone call if it's really tough. I'm here to help because I know how many people get misled. I started out in this industry seeing it happen. And I'm always happy to steer people in the right direction. And I'll back that up as somebody who was PR skeptical initially. And I, I kind of like my distance from Ed initially, but then uh, having been convinced and, and working with him, I'll, I'll definitely vouch for the truth of that. So thanks a lot uh, for coming on, Ed. I think this is a, yeah, this is, this is really a great useful. conversation. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's a lot of fun. To make sure you never miss an episode, subscribe to the show and your favorite podcast player. Thanks so much for listening. Until next time.